and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 443. That's right. We are talking all about uh, Green Lantern number four. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> Which cover did you guys get? Because I'm still getting the cardstock uh, Brian Hitch covers. I got the Last Lantern standing cover by choice. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I haven't really liked any of the Hitch variants for this with the exception of the one that's coming up with a uh, joe fighting sinestro on mm-hmm. it i i just i really don't like a lot of hitch's recent dc covers just like style wise you just don't like his style or i mean it, it to me it looks it looks like you can tell that's a weird way to say that but to me like it looks like he's drawing characters he's not familiar with because like something about their proportions or like the way their costumes sit on them just look kind of off to me gotcha i think they look okay i I, honestly i don't think brian hitch is particularly fantastic artist i think he has hits and misses but for me i just i'm not as big of a fan of the regular covers and i think there's just so much action and uh and just frankly more green lanterns on the cover usually speaking um and you know plus you throw on the fact that it's cardstock and it's usually more glossy finish it just kind of presents a little better to me so that's why i've been getting the, the hitch variants but I, I, I can see it like I, I brian hitch isn't necessarily a go-to it's not he's one of those people like i i tolerate i think his style is something close enough to something i normally like but it's not necessarily like you know like yvonne hayes would blow me out of the water or something i'd be like oh i gotta have that cover because it looks fantastic brian hitch is just like similar enough you know <laughs> i think it i think it works for me uh, but we brought Dan on. Uh, Dan, is there any way for you to tell us why you wanted to come on for this episode so badly without necessarily spoiling it? Or should we let you just launch into the issue to, to tell us? I mean, page one exists. <laughs> <laughs> but No, I mean, I f- in, in a couple ways, I feel like the book is kind of hitting its stride. Like, I know something that, like, I'm curious to find out from you, actually, if you feel differently about the artwork this time around, because the, the uh, Tom Rainey inconsistencies that we has bothered both of us for the first three issues of this run feel like they've more or less been ironed out this time around. Like I didn't really notice any of like the, the, the radical shifts that we were complaining about as recently as last issue. Uh, But beyond that, it's doing things with it. It's, Without getting into to specifics, this story is starting to subvert expectations in a very interesting way that 
I I both love and and kind of like regret because a lot of people won't make it this far in to discover that they're being subverted. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, fair enough. Go ahead, man. Floor is yours. Launch into it. Oh, I'm doing this. So, oh, okay. <laughs> unless it, unless Mark unless it, Mark has it. If it's up to you, Dan, I I I prepared to assume I was going to do it, but I don't care. If you want, if you prefer to do it, then then you can then you can do it. But uh, I will yield the floor to you, Mr. Marble. <laughs> let's roll this marble down the hill. All right, let's see what I can do with this sucker. Uh, all right, so the actual so the actual issue is called Polarity. Jeffrey Thorne writer, Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci art. Michael Atea colors, Rob Lee letters, Bernard Chang and Alex Sinclair cover, Brian Hitch, as already mentioned, and Alex Sinclair did the variant. Bixie, there's a name. Mathau is assistant editor, Mike Cotton editor, and Jamie S. Rich group editor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to paint in some broad strokes when necessary so that we can delve break this sucker down when uh, we do the discussion. The first page, as Dan was alluding to, refers to us. When exactly this takes place will be is quite interesting to try to pin down. But clearly, it's post post Emerald Twilight, and Ganthet and John Stewart are having this conversation in which John Ganthet is essentially reminding John Stewart that at the end of the day, hey, once a guardian, always a guardian. And John's saying, I'm that's not that's not don't basically tell me that's the way it is. I'm not even a Green Lantern, let let alone a guardian right now. And with everything going on, everybody's changed guy house parallax, yada, yada that I, I, you know, I'm just a man and I really don't want to deal with any of this. So Gantha just says, well, I can't really undo what's done, but I can basically make you forget. So that's going to be our, I guess our, our, our explanation for why John has more powers than we realize, but even John doesn't quite understand that currently. Now, now this now John now now we flash back to where John was at the end of last issue, which was getting blasted out of the sky when he tried to do the bluff with the with the Kanori that did not work. He's on the ground with Ilo, and uh, now this is the same guy that showed up in issue one, right? No, this it's, is another guy. That's another mystery guy that seems to wear the same kind of uniform. Yes. Okay, that's what I wasn't sure about. I thought he looked a little different, but the uniform made me think it might have been the same guy. This guy definitely looks does look like he's one of one of uh, Ilo's race, and he's another one that speaks in Obi Wan like uh, cryptic statements about you know like who are you? It's like I'm someone who wants you to survive this, which I know Jim talked to you about his theory, so maybe we can throw that out later. While he well the three of them are trying to figure out you know what the hell it's going to do, especially since John's you know his attempt at a ruse failed miserably. One of the Kenori shows up to try to finish the job. John basically has this mysterious person take uh, Ilo out of here, and John basically admits he has he doesn't really have a plan yet, but he has a blueprint, blueprint of a plan. And John uses his intelligence and his strategy and his knowledge of the Kenori to break pretty much, and his knowledge of his surroundings to lure the Kenori down into the ground, where basically he's shielded from all communication. And John engages in hand-to-hand combat with him. John ends up uh, pulls out his light his lightsaber or a green a green dagger, as the case would be. Uh, and he eventually he eventually defeats this Kenori, and at the same time, while John, uh, Elo and uh, or Ilo, whichever, and we do not know this guy's name. They're kind of like watching all this, and she's like, you know, we have you know we have to help John and, and our mysterious benefactor with the uh, don't worry, child, we will. John, we find out very quickly is John basically is making his using his little flying the flying disc that we saw last issue that he goes up to the Kenori ship. We find out now that really the Kenori, they're really only here 
for John. They've been collecting bounties on all these Green Lanterns and taking all these all the natives of this planet for uh, for slaves. That's kind of like that's like a that's like a bonus, but that's not the re- the real reason why why they're there. You know, John John eventually gains control of the ship, and John pretty much announces down to all the slavers on the planet that this is, you know, the green lantern, your ship is mine. You destroyed their, it's like, I told you to go. You didn't, these people weren't a threat to you. You destroyed their haven. You didn't even come here looking for them. You came for me. And I told you there'd be consequences as of now, your weapons are dead. And basically he just turns them over to all the people on, uh, on Ilo's planet. Kind of what Iron Man did in the, in, in the original Iron Man, when he turned the terrorists, you know, the 10 ring guys over to the, to the, to the villagers. But after he uh, nullified them. So all the slavers pretty much are getting the living crap beat out of them. And Ilo goes to her mom was like, you know, what if more slavers come? What do we do? And she's like, I don't know. I truly don't know. Well, John's in the ship. And this leads to a very nice contrasting dual splash page. John's in the ship and he sees like all these all these uh, Green Lantern rings. And he's getting all this intel that basically on all these bounties that are closed, which we're supposed to assume means that all everybody whose bounties were closed we're dead. So we have some interesting names thrown out. I want to say them all now. We can go through them later if we want. But we have Ashpak Glyph. We have Moro, um, Vath Sarn. Now we contrast to the other side, which is on Oa, where somehow you know Joe is pretty much getting the same intel for other Green Lanterns. So we know that uh, Guy's missing, Kyle's missing. Few have been located, like Ayolande and Rotlop Fan. Arisia is confirmed dead, which is an Izamot. That's kind of a really crappy way to, uh, if they're really dead, it's a crappy way for them to go out. It's just a, it's like a ring blurb. Simon, you know, temporary cyborg Simon is, you know, is helping, uh, helping to keep some of the escapees from the, from the science cells, because obviously when the power went out that the, uh, the less maximum security prisoners have, you know, had a much easier escape route. And so they're trying to clear up, they're trying to clear up all this mess and contain, contain the prisoners. Joe was trying to obviously she's trying to deal with Kelly, who's acting like a brat at the same time. She's trying to get more information about what exactly is going on with the Guardians, because this is the first time we've seen the Guardians since these what uh, happened to the central power battery. And it's almost like they're in this weird kind of phasing in and out flux that is you know, described that, you know, that it's, <laughs> I like the way they said the uh, it's described as like there, it's like a 90 percent chance that the Guardians are dying. And there's a 76 percent chance that they're already dead and basically because of the way they're phasing and the way time is moving, we, they, they just haven't finished fading, fading away yet. And we got interesting information that the power battery really wasn't blown up as much as was deconstructed or disassembled on a quantum level. And that's one of the reasons why the, you know, the ring stopped working the, and as opposed to still being able to use the power that they had in them, things like that. Now we go through the, you know, the, the list of the list of suspects uh, as again, Kelly, con, Kelly continues to, to act out and speak Spanish, which does get kind of old after a while to me. But we go through the top list of suspects here, the Red Lanterns, the Bright Circle, the Reach, the Controllers, however many Controllers are actually left, considering the last time we saw them with the Dark Stars. And, of course, Sinestro. And, you know, Sinestro is a, is a number one suspect on the list, which would make sense, which probably means he's almost is not. He's, def, he's almost assuredly not the one who actually has done it because he's the one everybody is looking at. Kelly starts going batshit crazy when she hears about Sinestro and, you know, she starts amping up with her gauntlet. Uh, Joe tries to contain her. She goes flying off. This is the, this is a cute part. It's like the child lantern is upset. It's like, Joe's like, no shit. It's like her medical report says she's suffering from post-traumatic stress. 
Joe goes, no shit. That's <laughs> like, she's on her way to New Corridor. No shit. And that ends the issue. <laughs> um, I, I, I think we'll just like let Dan go into it. I, I, but like, I mean, I enjoyed it overall. Dan, you mentioned earlier the, the art. Yeah, I agree with you. Some of the inconsistency is gone, but I still just don't like Tom Rainey's style. That's, that's, I mean, just artistically preference speaking, as I've mentioned before, his is not a style that appeals to me. I mean, you know, yay for him. Glad he's being more consistent, putting some more time into it or, or, or the editors are telling him or whatever the case may be that's caused him to address those concerns. That's, I mean, that definitely helps things, but regardless of error, uh, I just, it's not a style I like. Um, interestingly enough, I think the Santucci art, uh, it doesn't necessarily look so great. Uh, this issue, there are some moments where I think it's really, uh, standing out and doing, doing well. Uh, but I think that, uh, it, it's those moments uh, where there's some splash pages, sort of like the guardians trapped in that limbo, or um, the the display showing some of the you know the top you know people who are probably have done this to the guardians. But then again, those types of splashes artists tend to spend more time on, anyways. Um, so uh, you know that would make sense that they look particularly well done. I do like the fact that uh, in the issue, there's no like ad or anything between uh, the end of the John Stewart story and the start of the Joe story, because they're both sitting on the floor. Uh, they're both sort of listening to roughly the same sort of data. Uh, so it, the, the, the juxtaposition across pages of the pose and everything helps make the transition from, uh, from Tom Rainey's art to Marco Santucci's art a little easier to digest. So I think that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, just artistically speaking, Tom Rainey, just regardless of fixing the stuff, still not a big thing to me. I, we'll, we'll get into the death, the, the lanterns deaths later. But but yeah, Dan, go ahead, man. Just launch into it. So page one, it's 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 the page where Ganthet literally turns and looks at me and says, hey, Dan, this is for you. This <laughs> this is so Mark mentioned like, oh, well, you know, allude to where this might take place and this at least geographically, I believe is taking place on Oa because Gantha is looking over the smoldering remains of a city. John talks about losing two worlds. The first obviously being Zanchi. The second would have to be the, the mosaic world. And also it looks like, like, like the, there's girders and rebar framing Gantha in that first panel, which, Hey, there was an earth town in the mosaic. So I think, Something we never knew is what happened to those cities between the battery exploding and Oa exploding. And I had always kind of hoped Ganthet, you know, moved them or something. But it looks like what they might be going with is that the mosaic cities were were wiped out when Hal blew up the battery. And that is... Plus Ganthet's wearing the dress. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, so, this know, is so either... You, so you... Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so you... So based on the way when I'm when I said like when it took place, we know they're implying it takes place relatively soon after Emerald Twilight. And I agree oh, with yeah. you. My impression seeing seeing the the top the top panel, I assume that was that was mosa- uh, mosaic to the mosaic city too, because it doesn't really look like the central power battery or though I guess you could make a case it's everything surrounding the central power battery, the citadel and things like that. But I because of the Ganthid with the ponytail and Ganthid still wearing you know, still wearing the red dress. 
as opposed to switching to the pantsuit <laughs> that, you know, this is this is early. This is early on. So it, it is it is interesting as if they'll probably flesh out how how much John actually knew and then and then was made to forget. Since obviously John and Hal really had no not that not that John necessarily had any interaction with Hal yet, but he knows of Hal and everything that went down and what Hal is calling himself. And obviously almost nobody knew what Hal was calling himself till zero hour. And John didn't encounter Hal himself until final night. So it is interesting that it's an, it's an interesting retcon. So I think that, so I, I, that did draw me in right away. Yeah. I, at some point we're going to get a prolonged flashback and I'm, I, I, I can't wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, at this point, like, I wonder, I wonder how many, how many of like John's memories got, locked away with his power versus how much of it is John just forcing himself to forget, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's either way it's a retcon, but I could kind of buy it one way or the other because of like how much, you know, (laughs) you want, you talk about Kelly having PTSD, John just, it, the entire mosaic, the population of all of those cities were just gone in an instant and he was the one that was responsible for watching over them, it, especially in a time when he was building his life back up and building himself back up from the person he was in the wake of the death of Zanshi. Like, I don't know. I'm just I really I'm really curious to see wh- uh, which way they go with it. And it. It just amazes me how how quickly that series is becoming relevant again. Which may, uh, which makes sense, I think. I think we kind of, considering how much Thorne likes uh, John Stewart, it made sense that if he was going to be the one steering the ship towards John Stewart as the main character, that it would mosaic. It would, it would always, to me, it made sense that we would get more references to mosaic. Obviously, maybe this is even more than we probably thought, or tying things in so closely to that series. I thought like the one panel where they talked about it in issue one was going to be everything. So this is, this is ridiculous. Like this, like, like this book by itself sells me on the concept of infinite frontier, considering the idea, the whole idea is that all everything that happened counts. And you hear that and you're like, okay, prove it. Well, then I started reading this book and yeah, okay, it can't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they mean it let's see where to go next oh let's talk about the dude in a uh uh in a that uniform that just pops in on that planet with them who's dressed like the guy from issue one right. am i crazy does they does everybody else think he's a time traveler i mean he's cryptic enough where i mean i don't know if i and we should probably mention jim's theory <laughs> at some point but i don't i don't know if i'm 100 on board with that part of it but he's he he talks cryptic enough where you would think he is a time well, he, that he know he knows how things are going to go and so that's why he's so reassuring and oh it's like it's like leia rescuing han someone who loves you you know it's like things like that it's like yeah it's like i know i know what's going on it's like i know what's going to happen so i and i have a in you know, i have a vested reason to make sure things turn out the way they're supposed he even gets like specific he's like all right here's how many guards there are here's how many like troops there are these guys are searching over there in like five minutes they're going to turn the corner and they can't find you so what are you going to do like this is the second person in a row dressed in this uniform that has just appeared where john is 
to nudge him along in the right direction at a critical juncture. And when asked, like, hey, how do you know all this? This guy literally says, is that important? Come on, you got you got to save these people. <laughs> like if I, if if I had to guess, I think this guy and the guy from issue one might represent whatever the Green Lantern Corps may become further down the line in this story, or at least a faction of them. Because once again, let's remember everybody, time moves faster where John is. So we're going to see some changes. True. Good point. I mean, they're clearly connected. They're wearing the same uniform. It's just, I don't know what they are. Though I think we also have to take into consideration something we haven't really talked about and Dan, I don't know that you've talked about on Mosaic Comics uh, videos, but what about the guy in the chair from the end of issue one? How is he tied in? Is he yeah. is he part and parcel with these guys? Is he uh, part and parcel with the reason the battery disassembled? Uh, is he like uh, who is he connected to? Is he connected to the mages in some way? Like where is he from or? Who is that guy? Uh, and usually when we, we talk dudes in chairs, you know, the, the thing the thing to, to go is Metron. But, I mean, typically speaking, you know, you look at some high-tech dude in a chair, you think super, DC Comics-wise, you think super intelligent or far future. I mean, this – and they, they set you up to think pretty much that exact array of things because, like, this series started by making specific references to – sorcerers and the new gods and then here's a dude that looks like he could be either one or both um something that i've been i've been mulling over a lot lately is that i wonder how long of a run jeffrey thorne intends to have if all things go according to plan because you know the knee-jerk reaction is to think oh that is the big bad or the, the mastermind to what's going on or it could be some somebody that we're going to see focused on in an arc after everything that we're currently seeing is resolved. You know, like I'm not sure how, how far down the field you have to kick the ball to get to that guy. Yeah. Just like how I'm not, Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, just like, I'm also not sure why John felt the need to get on a giant microphone and tell the whole planet that he is the reason all of these armed killers came to their houses. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Well, actually, you know what? One thing, Dan, because of your your background in art and stuff like that, I have to ask, you know what I'm noticing on these? And, I, you know, I got all my comics over there, but I don't want to spend time digging through right now. I suppose I could grab like a couple of indie issues and stuff that are currently being published. But you guys know, like this is the total tangent. But what the hell happened to the inker credits? Is, is is this just simply a consequence of moving to a more digital age and everybody's just doing their stuff on tablets and stuff and just can ink their own work, technically speaking, on the tablet? Um, let me see. Because I don't, I haven't seen inker credits on anything in a in a in a while. <laughs> I, like so, like um, okay, uh, so I, I for those of you who don't know, it's a great resource. I think you can create an account over on a website called leagueofcomicgeeks.com. And basically what you can go on there is you can quote unquote subscribe to comics. Now that doesn't mean like you're going to get the uh, digital code or anything to read the issue. Basically it's a way to keep track 
of what you're getting each week so that when you go to it, your homepage dashboard is the comics coming out that week that you subscribe to. So, you know, like when you go to the LCS, oh, yeah, I am getting that series. It just it's been like three. It was the series was delayed or the issue was delayed. Oh, it's actually releasing this week. Right. So I can click on something over here and just pull up the credits like and I'm looking at. Uh, Radiant Black from Image, and I'm seeing the writer, and I'm seeing the artist, but I'm not seeing an inker. Uh, if, but if I go to, let's say, Extreme Carnage Phage, which is, there's an Extreme Carnage event, and they're doing this whole thing. If I click on that, that one has an inker. So, like, does inker now mean they're doing the art old school in terms of there's an actual page? And if there's not an inker, that means it was probably done digitally. Is that safe to assume these days? Because like even even here, Boom Studios, uh, number a new number one is coming out this week, Dark Blood. I've got artist, I've got writer, I've got colorist, uh, or no, no colorist. Uh, I no inker. I have not seen. It's it's become rare to see inker credits. I don't know, but I would. I think you're probably right. I know years ago, once the once uh the standards started to shift over to digital artwork for comics. There were a number of artists who would always make sure they, they hand, they, they uh, drew on physical paper, at least one full page of each issue, just so they would have something to like to sell at, at conventions or auctions or whatever. But in those cases, I think they would usually do the inking themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, when you think about the fact that the purpose of the inking was always to make sure that the art would actually reproduce well when it went to print and to copy, doing it digitally removes the need for that. Like there's, it's literally a matter of like, Hey, change, like adjust the contrast a little bit to make sure it pops. So there's, there's really nothing for an inker to go over and do, but yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't even really notice that change happen. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just haven't said the word. Anytime we talk credits, I don't think it's been a long time since we said, and the anchor is, it's, I haven't, you know, and we've on the, on the podcast, we've, you know, usually me, but we've interviewed tons of anchors. I mean, I, to the point where it's like, okay, I understand the job. I understand their role. I understand their talent. I understand why they matter. But now what the hell are all the anchors doing? Like, you know, (laughs) What's, it what's was a Tom, slow. What's, what's Tom Wynn doing now? You know what I mean. Like, <laughs> it was a slow transition too, because for a long time, the um, you would get every now and then a book where that like the the penciler would just also ink his own work. So it's it was never uncommon to see like like oh instead of penciler credit inker credit, there's just blank on art, and th- that and that would be it but it was never uniformly across the board. So it was just kind of, it, it got us used to the idea. Yeah. I mean, like I can, I can, the, the series that have been done in the recent past, and I say recent past, like the last five to seven years or so that are Neil Adams. Cause I think he did like a Batman mini. I know he did a dead man story, stuff like that. He is definitely not working digitally. He's, he's drawing and he's inking himself because you can, you can very, I don't know why, but when Neil Adams inks himself, it's terrible. I can't stand it. <laughs> uh, but like it's now we have this catch twenty two is okay. The old way was they're inking themselves, uh, but they're still a physical page. They're, that that's what it means when there's no inker credit. But 
it seems like these days there are so many books with no ink or credit. It, to me, it just feels like, okay, the, then the definition has switched. It must mean that they're working digitally. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. Um, before we get into the debate, I guess, about the deaths here, is there anything else we want to say about the book in terms of, uh, like, uh, you know, Sinestro's involvement or why they <laughs> chose these these individuals? Because, you know, four of them make sense. And the, the fifth one is obviously the the girl they have, the, the sorceress or whatever they have imprisoned. Um, so all of all of this seems to, to make sense to me. But did it just seem too easy to go greatest hits with it <laughs> or? I think they all make sense. Like if you were going if you really wanted to to come up with the list of most likely suspects, this would be them. I mean, nobody hates the Guardians more than Sinestro or Atrocitus. The controllers have always tried to replace the Guardians. The Green Lantern Corps has always been the biggest obstacle to the reach and spreading their reach. <laughs> and the the Bright Circle, <laughs> I, they're they're new, right? Like I'm not I'm not just um, misremembering. Like they're brand new, right? That, no, that's that's the that's the group that attacked at the beginning, the magicians. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because if you look look at her outfit there in that display, and then go to the page where Simon's outside her cell. Oh yeah, she even has she even has the crown. Okay. Yeah. That's her. Yes. So. Oh, we're we'll be revisiting that moment in a moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I kind of like the idea that like okay, you know, Joe's investigation is going to to give us like an issue issue or two interacting with all of these groups. I guess starting with Sinestro, unless um, you know, unless Kelly you know beats him before she gets there. <laughs> oh God, please! <laughs> I, I what may have to guys... quit reading the book. If that. What do you what do you guys think about the fact that Joe's ring will not translate Kelly's Spanish into English? Because it's something I didn't even think about until they called it out. And I assumed like, oh, they're just they're just, you know, they don't want to lose that character trait of Kelly's. So they're just mentioning it and moving on. But then it comes up like more than once in this issue and it happens a lot. And I'm like, are they going somewhere with this? I'm not, I'm not really sure what to make of this. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they might play it off like interference from her gauntlet since her gauntlet isn't technically based on Owen tech. Like it runs similarly, but it's clearly its own thing. Uh, so maybe it's just straight up interference in some way. I don't know how that would knock out a translator function, but that's, that's my guess. I mean, it, but maybe it's the way Kelly thinks too. Yeah. Maybe it's the fact that it's it. I mean, it, you're. It's hard to justify why it would not work. I mean, other than the fact that you know Joe's ring is different, and yes, it's the gauntlet. But maybe it's because it's 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 literally how Kelly's thinking. That maybe it's like it's almost like Kelly's thoughts are being translated. Kelly's thoughts are being brought almost like brought out by the gauntlet. So maybe that there's nothing to translate on that level because that's it's just coming straight out from her head. I don't know. It it's it is it is somewhat. I understand that's the way she was originally written, uh, but it is it's kind of annoying. So it's and and the fact that they, I don't know. It's I'm less annoyed by that in this issue than I am about the idea of all all these schlubs going to deal with Sinestro, and if Sinestro just doesn't beat the living crap out of all of them, like in two seconds, if when when the time comes that it get, turns physical. And the other thing that I don't want to deal with, if our killer gets his ass kicked by any of these people, I'm sick. I'm done. 
I don't care with any of them. I don't care if it's Cyborg, Simon, if it's, I don't give a rat's, you know what? It's like, I don't care. Kelly doesn't know what the hell she's doing. Joe has never dealt with a ring, another ring bearer in her life. Sinestro sh- should be able to beat them all. Uh, so I don't know. And, this, and to me, this raises the other question, I, uh, again, about purposely keeping Hal out of this book. Uh, they know they know at least she knows Hal hasn't been designated as dead, located, whatever. Somebody she has no knowledge of the Green Lantern Corps. But she has she's from Earth, so she knows it's a friggin' Justice League. She probably could contact the Justice League. Somebody in of the United Planets would probably know about Hal Jordan. <laughs> Simon should know, I believe, that Simon that Hal was was assigned to the that crux world of Earth, since he was all pissy about getting the shitty assignment. Simon, we know know is Hal. You would think somebody would seek Hal out specifically. And more and, and if you weren't gonna do that. We know how Hal Jordan is with orders. How likely is it that Hal Jordan would stay away when he doesn't even know who the hell Joe is sending out this distress signal? How's well, I, I don't think they're keeping him out of the book. I think it's they're just waiting to bring him in until it's time for his part. Like, like they're not keeping Jessica out of the book, and we know that she's coming into the story next month. Um, in, uh, I, I think that's when the annual comes out. Um, I mean, look at it this way, right? Somebody burns your house down. And you know that, like, you have a family member that's, like, two towns over, and they're probably, then they're fine, but you have a lot of shit to deal with right in front of you before you start, you sit down and start, like, calling them. You gotta deal with the police, you gotta deal with the fire department, you gotta have a panic attack because, hey, your house just burned down. I'm sure when Joe gets, like, five minutes, she'll try to call Hal Jordan. (laughs) And we know from Future State that Hal is going to to get a, grab a spaceship and fly to Oa anyway, so he'll be here. Which, in a way, change. I mean, having all these things, if they if they go the route that we're going to have to see all the things in Future State verbatim, as opposed to what like uh, Future's End was, where it didn't quite turn out that way. I think that I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that either. If we're just going to get a, if it's like a, we're going to get a rehash and all these things have to connect. But well, I I know where you're going with it. We'll we'll see. I I I think it's, I think part of me just thinks this is less the less the story really dictating this as opposed to who's writing the story wants it to dictate this and he doesn't want Hal to really be in it much. So Hal's not. Yeah. Hey, I I still fully believe that we're going to get some. Cool as hell, Kyle Rayner stuff, and it's gonna happen when the time is right for it to happen. You know, these people can be a big part of the story. That doesn't mean that we have to check in with them every issue. But enough about that. Let's talk about the battery. But before we can talk about the battery itself, we need to talk about the sorcerers locked up in the science cells, specifically their leader, whose name is, I believe that's pronounced Uridian. Uh. If you remember issue one, she had identified herself as a master opener. You know, she uses her magic to like just kind of get in there and like unlock things, which, you know, A, means she could probably leave whenever she wants, but chooses to stay. Uh, but also the thing that got her and her group jailed in the first place is she used her magic to reach deep into the core of Oa and force open a, I think I think she refers to it as like a mystic, a magical gate because like the the whole thing she had a, a discourse with Kelly about you know how Gem World used to be be this nexus point for for uh, interplanetary and interdimensional travel but when the Star Heart was taken away the, all that 
got shut off and all these world gates got forced closed and now she's forcing Oa's world gate back open. And that's where all of the chaos came from in issue one, like the big, the big uh, super weapon they were fighting, that dragon that came through, it all came through that, that big magic door deep below Oa that she forced open with her magic. So cut to issue four. She is sitting nice and, and quietly in her science cell, giving clues. <laughs> she, Simon's checking on her. And she says, she's sitting there saying, every storm has an eye. This one sees your fate. All burned or dead, black blind with dread. You'll never shut the gate. Not only does that make it sound like she's kind of at the center of what's going on, it kind of makes me think that portal she opened is still there. Why does that matter? Well, because thanks to Counselor Fell, the Kaliuan who's been been studying what happened to the battery, we found out that it wasn't blown up. It was disassembled. So you have a freshly disassembled central battery right on top of a big magic door. So to me, it's not the question is, where did the battery go? Like the subver- the subversion I was talking about at the beginning of this of this uh, podcast is like the biggest the biggest misdirection that we may have been given is the one the the main thing everybody knows about this run that the central battery is being destroyed again. I think it's entirely possible the central battery is just fine. It's just been moved. Where I don't know, but we do have conveniently a big chunk of space inside an impenetrable barrier nobody can see through and those canary raiders you know they seem very adamant about taking out lanterns but collecting their rings maybe because whoever put out those bounties has something that could power them yeah it could be behind the the quote-unquote wall of that area but we also have an omniverse it could just be in another universe it could. I mean, if it's if it's really anywhere. I mean, as soon as I saw like, oh, it's been disassembled on a quantum level that I mean, that sounds like the beginning, like the first step in how like all sci fi teleportation works. That's like like you got entire Star Trek episodes out of the fact that, hey, hey, these transporters take apart your molecules and then set like shoot them over there before putting them back together. All right, the deaths. We got to get into it because I look, Dan. I know you. I know you're excited. Uh, you have, you know, uh, given what you're specifically a fan of and stuff like that in terms of mosaic and stuff like that. You have every right to be. And anybody, guys, anybody who's excited about this series for any reason, you have any every right to be. But honestly, killing off lanterns is. Uh, a tried and true method that has happened in most every series. Uh, they just, you know, there's, there's 7,200 of them, even less now after this agreement, but like, you know, let's, we're going to, we're going to kill some off. But when you choose to kill off the lanterns other outside of the human lanterns, that, that really means something uh, off panel for the most part. I mean, I know that we showed like Aresia floating in space at one point uh, in a prior issue and stuff. I'm I'm sorry. It feels like a slap in the face kind of. Because, now, again, because it's quote unquote off panel, uh, who knows if it's going to, you know, we have to throw, we have to throw in the qualifier. 
we don't know if it's going to stay in place, if these people are quote unquote permanently dead in any way, shape or form. But, you know, I would say kind of the, the, the big ones here are Vath, Aresia, and, uh, and Izamot. Now, I would say like uh, Not Kiloi and Moro or an Ashpack Glyph are also uh, kind of, you know, not cool to throw out there like that because uh, Not Kiloi was, I mean, he's one of the most, he, he probably doesn't have a whole lot story wise that you guys could point to, but you know who he looks, you, you know who he is. You know what he looks like. He's in the background of tons of panels. Um, and Moro being kind of like the uh, guardian of of the or the keeper of crypt the keeper. yeah the crypt keeper uh, you know uh, you could say historian of the core because you know he he you know watches over all those those uh, internments and stuff like that um, and uh, Ashpack Glyph is was a fantastic character in in my mind but specifically we spent so many years reading Aresia stories and then the the you know at the zenith of Green Lantern's popularity we were getting so much of of the the interaction and understanding and development of the characters of Vath and Izamot and you just killed them off panel and that kind of feels like a kick in the teeth uh and I'm not the only one who feels like it uh, I tried to get people to write in about it b- before the ep- tonight's episode, but uh, you know they they couldn't. But you just I mean, it's it's a dangerous thing to say, but just go to Twitter. <laughs> you'll you'll see you'll see plenty of people talking about ki- the being upset about killing these people off panel. I I get it. They're you know just alien lanterns, and you have to kind of display the stakes in some way, but. I don't know. Uh, until they're confirmed not dead, or, or this, you know, d- doesn't stick for whatever reason, we have to assume that they are dead. In which case, kind of feels kind of shitty to do that. I think there is wiggle room with everybody in John's half because all we know is the bount. We we see the bounties have been closed and their rings have been collected, and that's enough shorthand to tell us that oh, they're they're dead but we don't know what the specifics of their bounties were like. So like, it's entirely possible that at some point John is going to come across like a prison camp with, with like all these lanterns in it. Uh, I don't, that doesn't seem to, to extend to everyone that Joe is hearing about. Like those are like, yeah, we, we saw Isamat and Aresia floating in the vacuum of space and we're getting like actual like yeah we people saying we found them and they are dead um I, i'm still wondering what that harness was is was wearing like i i i don't know i don't know at this at this point in the story i'm starting to see jeffrey thorne's writing as as manipulative in that he knows what conclusions we will come to based on particular information as we talked about with the battery. So I wouldn't put it past them to, to somehow take this back later on, but I think the, the deaths in the first half are a lot easier to undo than the deaths in the second half. If that makes sense. I think there's wiggle room across the board. I mean, because you have to, 
Now, if every single one of the deaths in the that Joe is getting a readout on is because, oh, somebody physically found their bodies. If that's the case, then that's something different as opposed to somehow getting some something based on either, you know, ring tech or ring the ring separated from the bearer. Because we all know everything's all screwed up with the way the rings are functioning or not functioning to begin with. So if it's just dependent on the the bearer being separated from a ring, then that does not necessarily mean that the bearer is dead. So I so it's definitely in the John in in John's part of the book. Yes, we don't know what the we don't know what the how the bount how the bounties were stated. That the most important thing may have been getting the rings. It may not you know it may not have been critical that they had to kill the Green Lantern who was who had the ring. Once we get the ring, that's all we. They're not a threat to us as long as we have the ring. We don't care. But with the stuff with Joe, I think it's. I mean, Arisia, you have an out because Arisia has been dead before. So let's be honest. I mean, they could have they could have an easy out bringing Arisia back, even if she is technically dead now. But but she got better. I think there's wiggle room. But if there's not, if he really intends all this stuff to stick, then yeah, it, it's a pretty crappy way to take out a lot of a lot of cool lanterns. And while yes, technically he did not. You know, he didn't screw the pooch and wipe out, and you know, one of the Earth lanterns that way, or imply that one of the Earth lanterns is dead, because he pretty much all the Earth lanterns are safe at this point, based on what we've seen, as far as just because there no one's been declared dead yet, and we've kind of seen images of them. And if you go by the idea that everything has to play out the way it did in Future State, we know Guy's fine. That the reality is there is, it would be a really crappy way. And while I agree it could be manipulation, it's also questionable. It's always really questionable if you try to go out of your way to man- manipulate people and, t- and, and deceive people on purpose and then turn around, turn around and go, ah, I got you. Well, yeah, well, they may not be too thrilled with that when the time comes. It's like going out of your way to deliberately. It was it was like when they when they were trying to when they did the Red Hulk, when they first introduced the Red Hulk and they go out of their way to make it to make it seemingly impossible for Thunderbolt Ross to be the Red Hulk because he got killed like a couple of issues before. And then they just explained it away because it was a life model decoy, but they purposely gave you that moment. So you would say, Oh, can't be Thunderbolt Ross, which was just done just for that reason. People don't tend to like things like that. So which doesn't mean they won't do it because no one seems, I don't think they care too much what we think, but I'm just saying it would, it's not a way to endear himself to the, to the Green Lantern readers, even if they kind of eventually enjoy the story that he's telling. If you have a lot of those things where, there's a lot of purposely deceptive and deceiving and manipulative in his writing. The example I always think of is Hush. The uh, I, th- I think was it Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee? I forget who wrote it, but um, it was it was a 12 issue storyline. It was a mystery that centered around you know there's this new villain that shows up. Who could he be? He's 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 affecting Batman and Bruce Wayne's lives in a ways that no one else has, who could this be? What are, what, are, what's their motivation? And, and it was, and we're, it's just like kind of this long Halloween esque tour through Batman's Rose gallery, as we try and gather information and piece it all together. And I'm loving it. And very early on, there's an issue where they present you with a brand new character who seems specifically designed to be the the culprit and i thought to myself <laughs> that's so obvious they're they're just they're introducing that to throw us off and i got all the way to issue 11 of this 12 issue story i at completely unable to figure out 
what the answer to the mystery is. And I, and I actually honestly loved that feeling because I'm like, they thought of something I cannot think of. I can't wait to see what it is. And it ends up being just that that stupid jerk they made up like eight issues ago. It wasn't a clever misdirect. It was just them writing a really, really lazy mystery and me giving them the benefit of the doubt for it. And the thing that not only will I always remember that disappointment, it it kind of put into perspective how... I guess how hard it is to write a good deceptive story because Mark, all of the, all of the qualities you just listed are present in every good mystery too. The, it just comes down to how they're executed, how they're applied. And I think the fact that we're going through these issue, these, this story piece by piece as each individual chapter comes out with nothing but the context of what is in front of us right now, it's easy to take concepts on their face and act like that's the point of the story that's being told. You know, like, the, like I know there's tons of people that like Green Lantern, but don't want to even start to read this because, oh, they're just blowing up the battery again. Who cares? I've, I don't want to see that. Meanwhile, we get four issues in and I'm now <laughs> pretty sure that's not actually the story that's being told. So, so yeah, I th- I think I think that there is a deg- like we should definitely have a degree of cynicism with how we we view the decisions being made here especially in what characters get taken off the board and how and how permanent that change could be. But at the same time, I don't know, the the further we go with the story, the more I, aware I become of how much we don't actually know in part because we haven't been told yet, and also in part because we have assumed things based on past knowledge, which I believe, I I honestly believe Jeffrey Thorne set things up like this because he knew the assumptions that would be made. I don't want to come off like I'm making excuses for this. Like if they, if, if it turns out that all of this doesn't get, doesn't get wrapped up well, then it was shit. It was complete bullshit. But I don't know. I think I think we're going to be surprised in a good way. No, I think I think you could be right. I think you could be right. Actually, when we're looking at, you know, the part with all these suspects and you would reminded me of, I mean, it's, and of course, dealing with Sinestro first. It reminds me of Dead Again in Superman when they have all these when Superman was trying to figure out who was playing, who was playing, who was playing games with his head with the fact that they were all this evidence was seemingly coming out to indicate that Superman was still dead and he never and and this and this and Superman wasn't really he thought he was Superman but he wasn't really and Superman so was he never came back after Doomsday killed him and all this stuff and like his body you know there was a body in the tomb and all these different things and he starts running through all these suspects he, he goes after the Eradicator and Brainiac and all these different things to find you know, before you finally get the, you know, the resolution. And even using that as an example that you do have a, they do, they do something similar where Brainiac is the one who actually is behind it, but you, you would seemingly had crossed Brainiac off the list in a way. So I guess there's a hint in that story in that issue that maybe not, but it's again, one of those misdirections that, because you're correct in a mystery, you have to point fingers in a lot of different places when, you know, and make it plausible when you're trying to tell a mystery. Uh, so it's, I'm a little more optimistic on some levels about this, about where he might be going with this. I'm still not a huge fan of the, of the powerless lanterns and I'm not a big fan of, again, if, if they do something completely different with the central power battery, 
if it really, I mean, they seemingly are on one level that was affected. They made it clear. It's not, it didn't just blow up, but if, but if it is really not, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's kind of here, but not really that, that would be, that would be a little intriguing and how everything gets, as long as stuff gets put back together in a relatively timely fashion, not where this thing is dragging on for like, you know, a year and a half. And we still have the storyline going on. That's uh, that exactly like you keyed in on something that I've been thinking about a lot. If we knew how long Jeffrey Thorne's tenure on this book was intended to be, I think it would do a, a hell of a lot to inform the way that we're thinking about the events that are going on. Well, yes, but he also could plan on staying on the book longer than this. I mean, this he may have, he may I mean, he may have maybe he only has two or three major stories he wants to tell. But in his mind's eye, each each story is going to take a year. But I think that would make a lot of people feel better if we didn't if we didn't think we were going to be playing these the game of dealing with deep power lanterns, dealing with guardians and and almost literally in a state of limbo, dealing with the stuff that's going on with all the, the all the suspects and working our way through the suspects to figure out who it really is and that I think it would make it easier if we didn't if right now the vibe I think wasn't still that this could drag on for like another five, six, seven issues. And that's it. And even if you're enjoying it, that sometimes that kind of gets tedious because again, we are, I guess they can offset it slightly by giving us enough quote unquote green lanterns or green lantern esque characters who still have green power or energy powers. To, so it's not entirely dealing with a book of non powered green, former green lanterns. But I still think that's a, a, a slippery slope if they start, if this starts going towards 10 plus issues. Oh, good thing Jessica's getting a ring next month, huh? <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, that that annual is is a little. I'm not gonna lie. That's that's on the surface more thrilling and more enticing to me than some of the other solicits we're getting. Even the Sinestro issue that's coming up, I'm interested in. I'm just really afraid that it's just going to be an excuse to be either heaven forbid build up Kelly, but but build just more more likely build up Joe, and because oh she can go. T- you know, she can go toe to toe with Sinestro when I still remember like in Green Lantern Rebirth when when Sinestro first shows shows up and Kyle is talking about how how a guy used to make fun of all Hal's villains, you know, and how he made, you know, like do- how many times he made like Dr. Polaris cry and all the stuff. But the one the one villain he never he never made any kind of jokes about was was Sinestro. So the idea that, oh, yeah. And and we know how well Kyle didn't do against Sinestro in the early stages either. And. So I'm just worried that this is just another excuse to prop Joe up to be, oh, she's just good at everything. You know, the Mary Sue effect. That makes well, me I, th- I, th- I think I think Kelly will absolutely attack Sinestro and it will go very poorly for her. And then uh, I because I think I think what we got in Joe in Kelly and Joe is we have the the lantern that will absolutely attack Sinestro and the lantern that will absolutely talk to Sinestro. Like I I think Kelly will start a big fire and ke- and and uh Joe will defuse it. Or I don't so, think yeah. yeah, I do not expect to see a, a an actual physical fight between Joe and Sinestro unless it's like her putting herself in front of Kelly to try and stop the fight. Mm. I can see that. I just I, I think I, I'm glad to hear you say, you know, if this if if these deaths stick around it's it's complete shit. Uh, uh so because you know when when you said you were you wanted to come on for this and I saw how hyped you were for this issue I like on the one hand I knew why because of the opening and everything but also I was like really Dan is just okay with this issue because I remember man like I was there 
when we were recapping issues of core as they came out, you, you loved core more than the green lantern ongoing. And I remember you talking about enjoying the relationship between Isamot and Vath and like all that stuff. So like to see them unceremoniously killed off, I was just like, one part of me was like, really Dan's not Dan's okay with this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the Gleason Tomasi green lantern core run is still up there as one of the greats and Isamod and Vath are definitive characters for that era. Like everything from Green Lantern core recharge up until, up until, uh, God, when did it change? I think it, when, I think it was when they, they, uh, whenever Fernando Pissarin became the artist, I think that's when they changed the focus characters. But yeah, for a long, long time, Isamod and Vath were, were up there. They were big name they were some of the biggest named like relevant alien green lanterns. And like, to me, like they're always going to kind of be synonymous with the green lantern core. And I think I even said when, uh, when we saw that panel of Isamat in space depowered, I'm like, ah, he'll probably be okay. So like, and I was really surprised to find out like in this, like this issue comes around and, ex- and expects, expects us to believe that, Oh no, actually they won't. He won't be. And I don't know if it's just the cynical p- comic fan in me that is not inclined to believe that, because how often how often does death count in in superhero comics? But I don't know. I think yeah. I don't know. I think there's a there's enough there's enough wiggle room, and I know. And well, I I think what I'm trying to say is that with this story at this point, I know enough to know what i don't know <laughs> you know does that make any sense yeah, no, like, no i agree with you there's more there's there's context to, to take into consideration but i think also part of my problem with it isn't just the specific characters they kill off and it's a, probably i think another reason why i was surprised you liked it so much is to me this is sending also another message other than just killing off these characters what you're saying to me here, and, and I could be reading into it, whatever, is all that, th- that that Green Lantern is a book about the Earth Lanterns. Damn the others. Because if you're going to kill off the lanterns that mean something, that we've, that we've come to know by name, recognize on the panel, even expect stories of, Aresia, Isamot, Vath, Moro, these, these ones that we have come to know and be, and even care about, as alien lanterns outside of the humans, what you're saying by just unceremoniously killing off such big names in the lantern core off panel is that all that matters is the stories that happens with the humans, which makes the core about like it, it, it makes every lantern every, if you're going to make lanterns expendable, make all of them expendable because to, to me, like, it shouldn't just be, oh, they're aliens and nobody really cares about reading about aliens. So let's just, you know, we'll kill them off. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Throughout the decades that this, this these characters have been published, we've come to appreciate the core. So when you kill off lanterns, there's a reason so many people, when they do kill off lanterns, kill off a lantern, maybe you like not kill Oi that you recognize in the background enough to make you go, Oh, shit's shit's real right now in this story. 
but not enough to make you go, oh, we lost this character that we've had for years. You know, like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not voicing that opinion quite eloquently enough to to maybe drive my point home, but it just, it to, to me, it feels like you're, you're sending a different message by killing off the lanterns that we know and love outside of the earth ones. I don't know. And I mean, t- like, as far as I'm concerned, the, the title of this book refers to absolutely everyone wearing a green ring. Like green lantern isn't a, isn't a superhero name. It's a title. And it, it is, it applies to, all 7,000 of them, you know? But in rea- in reality, there is a hierarchy. Like, the the human members are always going to be a, a rung or two higher than the most prominent alien ones who are going to be a rung or two higher than the miscellaneous kind of cannon fodder ones. And, so, um, and some of that is just comes from the fact that, you know, the largest possible audience is going to relate more to a human character that they can project onto and understand faster, which, you know, I think sucks. I would love, I would love to see just the Isamod and Vath book, you know, but that would never happen because people are going to be like, oh, where's Hal Jordan? I forget what else I was going to say. Oh, well. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, I think, that's probably all we have to say about it. The, there is one other thing I did want to mention that's Green Lantern related in this thing that uh, other readers may not have picked up on. Opposite of the act the, in the physical issue, opposite of the page where we see Atrocitus and Sinestro and the controllers and the Reach and so on and so forth, we have an ad for Icon and Rocket. Uh, that series will actually be starting up next week. Uh, the six, uh, the first season of it, the six issue uh, series. Issue one hits. Uh, when I say Green Lantern related, I don't mean you should expect a Green Lantern in the pages. I am bringing attention to the fact that the variant, the cover B of this, uh, which is officially known as the old school variant, is done by none other than Daryl Banks. So yes, it, it looks really good. Yeah, I just sent the link in our in our uh, conversation. If you guys haven't yet seen that cover. Uh, Mark or Dan, if you want to pull it up and just look it up now, it looks fantastic as Daryl Banks work always does. Uh, so, uh, I personally of the new milestone books, because in the very next page, we also get an ad for hardware, uh, coming up. I am only getting static, but you know, I love static and I have easily issues one through 30 of the original series. It's for some reason, extremely hard to get later issues after that. Um, I don't know why. Um, but, uh, uh, I love Static, so of course I'm getting the Static series, uh, but I'm definitely getting issue one of Icon and Rocket so I can get that Daryl Banks variant cover. It is very nice. I highly recommend it is. you guys Co- get it. The coloring on this cover is fantastic, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. It, it looks it looks really good. And Icon and Rocket, weren't they in uh, uh, Young Justice? The cartoon, yeah, in uh, yeah. Uh, season two, I think. Yeah, for sure, because I remember... Icon was just more behind the scenes. He wasn't. He didn't really suit up, but Rocket definitely was suited up. So yeah. Uh, so fans of fans of Daryl Banks get this. Fans of Young Justice get this. Uh, it's, it's it'll be fun. And plus, you know, just having the Milestone Universe back in general is is awesome as well. Um, anything else? Uh, number four. Anything else at all? I see that on the very back of this, we have an ad for Batman: The Long Halloween Part One. Uh, I actually just watched uh, Justice Society. Uh, World War II the other day. That was pretty fun. Oh, how is that? I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. 
Um, <laughs> I haven't watched Long Halloween yet because I know how this works. It they did it with uh, Batman Return, uh, uh, the the Dark Knight Returns or whatever, Part One and Two, and they did it with uh, the Death and Return of Superman. When they split these animated features up, they part they they put out the Blu-ray and of Part One, and then they'll put out the Blu-ray of Part Two, and then guess what's next? A Blu-ray of the two of them combined into one purchase. So I'm not watching this until <laughs> they put out the combined version. <laughs> Is it going to be a long wait, or do they kind of speed uh, we along should be through getting, those? We should be getting part part two in the next month or two. Okay, so maybe. Maybe by the, I like by the end of the year we should have the full thing. Cool. Yeah. But if there's nothing else to say about uh, issue th- uh, four, we have a voicemail from Corwin. We're gonna go ahead and play that now. Hey fellas, it's Corwin. Just finished listening to episode 439, Far Sector number 12. And for the most part, I definitely agree with you guys. Um, the, the art on this was just fantastic, especially the colors. I think where we differ. Um, is the whole climax of the thing. I never really expected to get full closure at the end of the series. Um, in a lot of ways, issue 11 kind of felt like it was where we got all the answers, and I, I did kind of expect half of issue 12 just to be epilogue and wrap-up. But, um, yeah, I actually really liked the series. Um, Dan had some really, really good points, and I was going to point it out when I called in, except he kind of got to it before I did when he was talking about how uh, Joe's experience in the in the police and how everything went wrong with her partner compared to her having to talk this guy down again. And I think uh, some of that gave her some closure to some of the issues she was having or her faith in the system or whatever else. But, um, yeah, really love the series. Uh, left you guys a little snippet um, earlier. Uh, hopefully you play that back. I'm going to keep listening and catching up on my episodes. I may actually call you guys back and uh, talk a little bit about GL4 before you release the episode, hopefully. Keep up the great work. Enjoying the show as always. I'll talk to you guys later. Well, you didn't give us an episode four one. I was, I, I was just going to say, I was just going to say in the Morgan Freeman voice, Corwin did not, in fact, leave a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we heard the kids hollering in the background, so I think we know why. <laughs> he, in fact, did not reach uh, out before before Green Lantern 4. And he was never heard from again. <laughs> <laughs> we did double check uh, one last well, time. Corwin, I want sure. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. Corwin, I want you to know I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do, in fact, make excellent points. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. I, I do kind of wish I, I think looking back on that issue I think more than ever the thing I wanted more most from it was even more epilogue like I wish I may have even said this before I wish the entire final episode was epilogue and that all like the fighting could have been resolved the issue prior because the most interesting stuff to me is what we get when the characters just talk to each other yeah interesting I mean, yeah, I, 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 I mean, he just kind of gave us his own thoughts and mostly agreed with us. So, I mean, I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of right. We got we got, I mean, information wise, we got as much as we probably needed out of eleven as opposed to twelve. So that's all well and good. I guess it. I guess uh, I guess it remains to see be seen how he likes uh, Joe's being Joe being portrayed in 
this new series. And then, of course, you know, with uh, the Sinestro Corps coming in uh, in the next issue, as well as the annual, I'm sure we'll hear from Corbin very soon. <laughs> we, we better. It's like the book's being written for him. <laughs> <laughs> but he is behind, so that's probably what's slowing him down. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, before we uh, turn Dan loose, I did want to mention a couple of things really quick. Uh, just two episodes uh, podcasts that are coming out uh, here. Uh, as we record this, it's 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 Tuesday the twentieth. Tomorrow the twenty first, uh, the drops a new episode of the Doctor DC podcast, uh, and that episode is Ragman, and they had me on. So uh, I will be joining the the doctor and Richard to discuss uh, and answer questions about the character of Ragman. Uh, they are well uh, into several years of their podcast ongoing. Uh, Mark and I appeared on the show back in like episode 40 something of their of their podcast. And one of uh, their first episodes as a podcast, I think it was like, Issue, episode six uh, was Ragman. And to this date, that episode remains for some reason or another, one of their most popular, if not their most popular episode period. So we talked all about him again. And uh, we actually read the, had Richard read the uh, first issue of the 2016 six issue miniseries um, by uh, Ray Fox and Anaki Miranda. So, uh, we all read that first issue and talked about it at the beginning, and then we went straight into listener questions. So that that drops this week, I, I believe, um, uh, unless something else comes out before it. But either way, just keep an eye on the the Doctor DC podcast feed. That Ragman episode will drop. And uh, tangentially connected to that, I wanted to mention that I will be dropping a new episode of Creative Credit. Creative Credit, as you guys know, also appears in the Lantern Cast feed, but they don't appear at the same time. Creative Credit does have its own feed, and those episodes drop there first and then based on a uh, recording schedule and posting schedule of lantern cast episodes, Mark and I decide when to drop in creative credit into the feed. So um, if you subscribe to creative credit, there is a new episode dropping at the same time as the Dr. DC podcast episode. I w- I'm staying up late to finish editing that episode so I can get it out. Uh, back at the end of March, I interviewed Joe Dinical. Uh, Joe Denical is the actor who played Ragman on season five of Arrow. Uh, the first portrayal, live action or animated, in, in any way, shape, or form, the first uh, portrayal of Ragman in alter, alternate media. Um, so I interviewed Joe, um, but the reason that has taken so long to come out is because I wanted to put out the audio, the video, and then a transcript of the audio. So I've been working with a lot of stuff to do that. I transcribed the entire interview and it will be uh, available to be read on the suit of souls blog. Uh, and then I'm not done yet with a video, but I, I did want to at least have some of the content out for uh, the Ragman episode with Dr. DC. So the creative credit episode will drop as well as the suit of souls blog post uh, will drop uh, as well. So, and I'll, I'll finish up, uh, the the YouTube side of it, hopefully this this coming weekend. Um, so and that'll all be out there. An interview with Joan and Nicole and and the Doctor DC Ragman episode. So that's out there for you guys to consume and enjoy and discover why Ragman is an awesome ass character, factually speaking. No opinions there. 
at this point, you probably come up as one of the top Google image results for typing in Ragman. I'm I'm pretty sure. I, hell, I can test it right now. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying. I'm looking. I'm just looking at the URLs underneath the images of of what shows up in the image results. And yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, don't one know. day you'll get there, champ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, line five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, no, no, no. Above that, too. The the Facebook logo for the page. Yeah, yeah. No, there's lots of stuff that I've posted uh, on there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Dan, speaking of posting content, do you want to tell people how they can find you uh, elsewhere on the Internet? Well, if if you want more Green Lantern content to consume and the gap between Lantern Cast episodes is just too, too painful to endure, you can go over to YouTube or just YouTube.com slash C slash Mosaic Comics. And it is a YouTube channel I run that is dedicated to nothing but analytical Green Lantern content, whether it's new stuff that's currently being published, old obscure stuff that I just pull out of nowhere and just examine how just weird it is. Or just like just like a monthly roundup of all the the little Green Lantern things that happen from one month to another that you might not have noticed. Um Go on, go on over. It's Mosaic Comics. There are currently 40 videos waiting for you. And if there's something you like, let me know in the comments. And and hey, if if you want to see more of it as it drops, subscribe and ring that bell. Tell your friends. For sure, for sure. Uh, and speaking of reaching out to Dan uh, and, and uh, speaking of producing all that content, Mark, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? If you choose to do this, <laughs> that, that is your homework assignment. Speaking of Chad, you have a homework assignment we're going to talk about in a second, but I'll be kind oh. enough to do it off air. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We are on all of those. So whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to text us or leave us a voicemail like Corwin did, 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. Guys, I think I'm in trouble. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Dan. It's about time he's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, and, Anytime. Uh, I guess we will talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night, and we'll see you for issue five, Dan. <laughs> okay. I, I've been drafted. Chad's gonna. Chad's getting fired tonight. Uh oh. Is this what we? You ruined the surprise. Oh, Dan. son of a bitch. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.